this Christmas series. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles, we turn to Matthew chapter 2. And if you don't have a Bible, you can grab one from the seat rack in front of you and be turning to page 1,276. That's where our text will be this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, feel free to, to take that with you. And if there's no one not immediately near you, there should be one around you. So kind of look around and somebody should be able to grab one and get it to you if you need a Bible this morning. One of the things about HBF, we are a Bible-believing uh, church, um, and so we, we really believe the Bible is literal. We take it literally, and we teach the Bible as, as uh, it should be taught as far as uh, the, the Lord's concerned. We take it literally until we cannot, uh, and we try to rightly divide it by God's grace. And so uh, thus far, we've been seeing the, the promise of peace uh, and from Isaiah 9-6. That's really been the theme verse that we've been rotating around uh, this Christmas season, these last four weeks, uh, or this last three, this is our third week. Well, next week we'll wrap it up uh, when we talk about the the uh, power of peace. But um, the last week we got together and we saw the the person of peace and examined the incarnation. We talked about how God steps into our problems and brings peace to those who prioritize Him. He steps into spiritual problems and then He gets into those progressive problems that continue to get worse. Uh, but He's always right on time to deliver us in a very personal way. And in doing so, he illuminates our life so we can bring glory back to God and lead others to Christ. And, and as we uh, recognize his pre- pre- precious nature, uh, we continue to grow, grow closer to him and more sanctified and consecrated to serving him. And so the, Jesus, though Jesus, the Prince of Peace, uh, steps into our problems, there are times that his presence seems to be the very problem itself. And uh, we don't want to receive him. Uh, conversely, there are times that, if, that it seems as though the Prince of Peace is often hidden from the hearts of man. It seems like, you know, where is he? I was just listening to a song this morning by uh, an artist named uh, Ann Wilson. She has a, a new Christmas song. I don't remember the title, but that's what the whole song was about. It's like, it's Christmas and I'm bummed. It's Christmas and I don't know where God's at, which is kind of a bummer. Debbie Downer, you know, I'm like, man, who wants to listen to that at Christmas? But you know what? Her sentiments are true. There's people even today, even maybe in this room this morning, that Christmas is kind of a, it's depressing, right? A lot of times people get depressed during the holidays because there's, there's expectations that are not met. There's memories that cannot no longer be fulfilled. There's relationships uh, that get severed due to death or some, uh, some other issue. Uh, and, that, and there's that pain, you know, that comes with, with that. And, and so uh, this actually, uh, in the moments like that, that is actually the time to double down on the actual purpose, the meaning, and understanding of what Christ, uh, who Christ is and what Christmas and His coming and His incarnation are all about. That's why we're doing this sermon series. There's a lot of people today that are struggling to have peace in their heart. And the last thing you can do is allow the season where we focus on Christ to slip by without focusing on Christ. God forbid. There was a gentleman named Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. Uh, some of you may remember that name. He was seeking peace. And he was seeking the Prince of Peace in a very tangible way. And uh, it was at the very beginning of the long civil war here in the United States that he began to compose a poem, which is now famous. And uh, it's become a song, and many of you may have heard it. Uh, the, the words of this now famous poem and hymn and, and song uh, started early in the conflict as he heard the battle rage at the second Manassas battle. And he wrote in his journal that day, Every shell from the cannon's mouth burst not only on the battlefield, but in the faraway homes, north or south, carrying dismay and death. What an infernal thing war is. And in the midst of war, 
it is difficult to, to focus on the promises of Christmas and the peace that came to this earth 2,000 years ago. Nonetheless, that's exactly what we should be doing, as I've already mentioned, and it is exactly what we must do. Focus on Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. He is the solution. He is our salvation. And Longfellow came to the same conclusion in his uh, now famous poem called Christmas Bells. I'm going to read that uh, briefly. It says, uh, uh, I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their their familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And thought how as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day, a voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south, and with the sound of carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. It was as if the earthquake rent the hearthstones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peeled the, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, I'm just curious, how many of you know that poem? Just how many Longfellow readers? Okay, not probably a third of us. I'll be frank with you. I've only heard bits and pieces of this in songs over the years, and I, I couldn't give you the lyrics to the song, so I'm not super familiar with it. But I was captivated by, by this song. I was captivated by the, the situation and history that Longfellow was in. As he as He's obviously a famous poet. We probably all heard of him. But uh, as, he, as he put this together, it really was a key moment in time in our nation's history. It was a very difficult time to really focus on the peace at Christmas when there were people blowing each other up, literally. And homes were broken up, and it was very discouraging. It makes a lot of what we're going through today seem like not very much, as a matter of fact. And so, indeed, Longfellow was right. God is not dead. He is alive. And he came to the earth and stepped into the problems caused by the war between he and Satan that that it had impacted all of Adam's sinful race. And though the Time magazine dared to propose the question uh, almost 100 years later, is God dead? The answer is still the same. No, God is not dead. He's still alive today, right? That's why we celebrate Christmas, because it was when Christ, who is eternal, came to this earth. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you to, to stand in honor of, of, of God's word. I know I haven't done this much lately, but today I wanted to do that as we read God's word and we contemplate uh, our faith in Christ at Christmas. This morning, I'm going to ask you to stand and, and honor the word as we look in second, uh, or, uh, Matthew chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 1 through 15. Verse 1 says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. When Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, And thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah, 
art not the least among the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privily called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child. And when he had found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. When they had heard the king, they departed, and lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they, uh, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were come in into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when, <clears throat> when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise, and take the young child and his mother, and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night, and he departed into Egypt, and <clears throat> was there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Heavenly Father, we're thankful for the Lord Jesus. We're thankful for this uh, story. It's more than just a, a story of sorts. It is a historical record of what transpired at the coming of Christ. It's your coming. As you came to this earth and became God with skin on, as you were incarnate, as you made yourself a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, so you might re reconcile us from the curse of the law, Lord, it's an incredible thing that, that not only uh, did you come for people who would receive you, but you came for people who wouldn't. And so, Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for your graciousness to us and your goodness to us. We pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word, and we're thankful for the gift of Christ this Christmas. We praise you, we thank you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So God is good, and uh, amen. He is good. Seeing those little kids, that was really cool. As you read this story, it kind of it's kind of a juxtaposition, right? You can you, as you consider what it was like for for Herod uh, to receive this news of the, that there was a Messiah. He wasn't very happy about it, obviously, and uh, and he didn't, you know, he was obviously pretty uh, messed up over that deal. And I'll talk about that more in just a minute. But when it comes to the the problem with peace, uh, the problem with peace is that uh, we try to get it in our own terms, and it just doesn't work that way. And so our first point of study this morning, when we consider the problem with peace is that God gives peace on his terms, not ours. You see, peace comes to us on his terms, not on ours. And that's the fundamental problem that men have with Christ, is that, that he offers salvation on his terms, uh, not on our terms. And so many of us, I know when I was lost, I thought I could do something, earn my way into heaven, merit salvation. You cannot merit salvation, right? Salvation comes to us on his terms. It's by grace through faith in his finished work alone. That's the only way to be saved. God gives peace on his terms. And so point A, the incarnation of the Prince of Peace was a prophecy. And this is a little bit of review. This first point's going to go quick, so be ready to move on. Because we already understand that. My first whole message was about these prophecies, right? And in Matthew's writings, we see the key passage of Scripture from the Old Testament quoted in reference to the, the coming of Christ. Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6 that we read over, it says in and thou Bethlehem in the land of Judah art not the least of the princes of Judah, for out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. 
And so from the smallest tribe, right, going all the way back to Genesis, when he talks about uh, Judah, right, and Shiloh will come forth from Judah, that prophecy of the Messiah is reiterated in, in uh, Matthew chapter 2 and verse 6, but that's really just a quotation of what we've already seen in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But, but thou Bethlehem Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet thou shalt, uh, he, yet shalt he come forth unto me, that is to be ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been from old, from everlasting. That is the cross-reference to verse 6 of Matthew chapter 2 that was being uh, quoted there. So last week in Matthew chapter 1 and verse 23, we saw another cross-reference to Isaiah 7 and verse 14. It was quoted concerning Jesus being born of a virgin. And so over the past several weeks, we've, had, we've been building upon these prophecies that were given by God about the coming of the Prince of Peace. First, we saw we started in the, in the garden with Jesus' words to Satan concerning his own incarnation, right? That's the first uh, prophecy we looked at, and we spent several times, I've referenced that in both previous sermons, right? In Genesis 3 and verse 15. And then uh, we built on that, and, and, and we saw the fact that Jesus would come forth from a virgin, right? Uh, literally, that was already prophesied in Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. And then we saw the virgin would deliver this child in a town called Bethlehem, Judah, and we just read that, of course, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. And then we've been really, the, all of the, sermon, uh, the sermons that I've been preaching really rotate and, and, and stand on the prophecy that is being fulfilled through Christ in Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Now, we are really in a, in still engaged in the combat, right? Even though Christ has died and he's conquered sin and death, Satan, doesn't, Satan has not yet been judged. And so he's, like a, he's, he's about to get his head crushed, but he's still wiggling around, right? And man is still fighting and wrestling against the Lord Jesus Christ. Men are not settled in their heart on who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And so from our birth, we're given to sin. We know that from Romans 3.23, and our nature is to our proclivity by our, our human nature, our endemic nature, as we call it, our our nature going back to Adam, is to sin, right? And so there's this, still this conflict and this tension and this pooling. Jesus Christ is the Prince of Peace, but yet it's being worked out in our hearts. And like, and like Herod that we just read about, you have to decide, how are you going to receive the news that Jesus Christ is Lord? So point B, the incarnation of the Prince of Peace was a mystery. It was a mystery. It was mysterious to Herod. It was mysterious to the Jews. It's mysterious to me until I got saved. I can remember the day I got saved on March 25th, 1987. My whole life, I had known historically about Jesus Christ. I mean, I had a crucifix above my bed. I looked at him hanging on that cross all the time. I mean, I knew about Jesus. I didn't believe in him, but I knew about him, right? And I at least thought he was a human. He was probably, yeah, he had to be somebody in history. But, um, but it was mysterious to me. What was all the hoopla? What is the deal? Why is everybody focused on this fella? And so, uh, and so though the prophecy was available and accessible in the Old Testament, we just ran through several references, and, and there's many, many more, right? I could just run them down both arms if you start getting into the prophecies of Jesus Christ. They just go on and on and on. They're all there, but yet nobody could see them. Why is that? Because, beloved, it takes the Spirit of God to teach us these things. It's not just a human intellectual exchange. This is not a relationship with knowledge alone. We're having a relationship with the author of knowledge, right? With the person who created your brain, right? Who gives you a heart and a soul and gives you the ability to even function and breathe and, and quickens you in the womb. I mean, we're dealing with God Almighty. 
And when he wants to reveal truth, he'll reveal it. But if he doesn't want to, even though it's written and you're reading it, you will not see it. You just won't see it. The incarnation of the Prince of Peace was a mystery. And so, though the prophecy was available and accessible, it was mysterious. So in the New Testament, a mystery is not something that we cannot know, but something that we can know that's been hidden from others. Man, if there's one thing you want to be thankful for this Christmas, it's the fact that God has has given us the mysteries. I mean, right here. And he's revealed them to us by his spirit and through his word. Hallelujah to you. That is awesome, man. I mean, it really is awesome. Forget everything else. That's a gift. And it's a gift that keeps on giving. It's amazing what God has revealed to us in his word. An example of this is when Jesus began speaking in parables to the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to go back and, add, I, I, for time's sake, I don't have time to go back and read all these verses, but I have the references here. In Matthew chapter 13, verses 10 through 13, Jesus Christ is presenting himself as king. So we fast forward the tape. Jesus is saying, hey guys, I'm here. I'm your Messiah. And of course, I think many of you know what happened. All these same people that are religious, that, that know the Bible, are rejecting Jesus. They're rejecting their Messiah. So Jesus is like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to start speaking in parables. And Matthew 13, 10 says, And the disciples came and said unto him, Why speakest thou in parables? What, what in the world? How come you're not being clear and cogent where everybody can understand it like you were? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Because it's given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath, to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance. But whosoever hath not, from him shall be taken away, even that he hath. Merry Christmas and bah humbug. Amen? And so, therefore, speak I to them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing they hear not, neither do they understand. So he's saying, listen, because I have offered it to them and they have not been good stewards of the opportunity, I'm going to go ahead and let them get blinded, go into parables. I'm going to cover up my words so that they cannot see it. But for you, disciples, I'm going to teach you about the kingdom of heaven and you're going to learn. And as you go through the parables, check out all the parables. You can can do your own Bible study study, and you'll find that when Jesus, excuse me, hey, could you give me that bottle? I forgot to bring it. when Jesus speaks a parable, thanks, brother. <clears throat> when Jesus speaks a parable, he explains it to his disciples. But the Jews are left standing, the scribes, the Pharisees are left standing there scratching their head, going, Did he say what I think he said? Or what did he say? They're wondering, What is it that he said? Truth is revealed by the author. And the author, of course, of truth is Jesus. He is the way, the truth, and the life. So the New Testament saints, us, We are blessed because we have not only been given the mysteries, check this out, we are stewards of the mysteries. So you think, oh yeah, Christmas once again, you know, uh, 12 months went by, 365. No, listen, beloved, we're stewards of the mysteries. And Jesus Christ coming to this earth, it is a mystery. Now, 1 Corinthians 4 says this in verse 1, let a man so account of us as the, as the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, previous sermons, I've laid out for you the seven mysteries, right? And those are all included in, in that, and we, we teach that around here. You can learn that in Discipleship too on Wednesday night Bible study or grab me at another time, another place. We can talk about the seven mysteries. But for time's sake, this, this morning, I just need you to understand there are mysteries, there are things revealed in the New Testament, and there are major doctrinal keys to the Bible so that you can rightly divide 
the word of truth and rightly then apply the word of truth. Those keys are given to us. Man, I remember as a young Christian reading over my daily reading, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 2, and, that, and I just stopped on that verse. And God said, Brian, you are a steward of the mysteries. You are a steward of the mysteries. Beloved, if, if you're a born-again Christian and you know the Bible, well, if you're born, let me back up. If you're a born-again Christian, you need to know the Bible and the things that you need to, you need to get yourself into a proficiency by the grace of God and the Holy Spirit of God and the teaching of a local New Testament church that disciples so you can get to the place that you can understand the mysteries, right? Those are not to be crazy, scary concepts. Those are things that are rock-solid fundamentals, right? All seven of them. But this morning, I want to I hope, you, I hope we can be found faithful with those mysteries. I want to point out this particular mystery that is mentioned by Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. Because one of the mysteries that we are to be a steward of, which is particularly poignant when we're coming to Christmas season, is this mystery. I preached on it last week. All of last week's sermon was actually about this one mystery. I didn't get up and say, here's a mystery. I just laid it out. And that was about the incarnation of, of Jesus Christ, the very person of Christ, how he was all God and he was all man, right? That's called the incarnation. In 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16, the apostle Paul said this, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now, if God wasn't wanting to communicate that, the rest of that, he would just stop right there at that colon. There's many today in this world, that's as far as it goes. Great is the mystery of godliness, and that's as much as they understand. But Paul goes on to give us the answer. It's laying right on the page, or at least my notes. It's in your Bible in 1 Timothy 3 and verse 16. He says, God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. Now, I can guarantee you, beloved, we could take five more weeks and just work on this passage right here and just go one comma at a time, and just and this thing will just extrapolate out into voluminous amounts of information about who Jesus Christ is, why he came, why he died on the cross, the power of the Spirit of God, how he was sanctified, how he went and interceded for us at the throne of God, how he later came back, how he then ascended in Acts chapter 1, and how he's sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. I mean, all of that is contained in the mystery of godliness, but it starts, starts with the fact that he became a man. He was manifest in the flesh. He was manifest in the flesh. And that's why we celebrate Christmas, because that is one of the mysteries that's been revealed. Now, it's interesting that as we study Matthew chapter 2, Jesus Christ had been manifest in the flesh, and yet the news was spreading, and people were like, what? What does that mean to me? Now, we run around, we sing, peace on earth, goodwill to men, right? And we're singing that. But yet, when some people hear about Jesus, it's not good news. It causes a problem, like in the case of Herod. And so the mystery of godliness has been revealed, not only to the church, but it gets manifest through the church. God has, was manifest in the flesh, and the mystery of godliness reveals much more than just the incarnation of Christ. Like Isaiah 9, 6, it goes forward to deal with his victory over the grave, as he is manifest in the flesh so he can die, but also rise again, being just and the justifier, as Romans 3.26 calls him, of all those who believe upon him. You see the problem here. The real problem is, is that not everybody 
believes upon him. Now, sometimes that's our fault for not preaching the gospel. And sometimes, if you're listening to me out here in the ether, it's your fault for not receiving the gospel that's preached. And I'm not saying that. I'm not mad at anybody. I was on the other end of it. I rejected the gospel as many times as I could before I realized that if I rejected it one more time, I was destined for hell. How many times can you hear the gospel? You're, only, you're not guaranteed to hear it, but if you hear it one time, that's enough. God forbid you reject the gift of God. If somebody rolls up in here with a million-dollar check with your name on it, and I said, hey, this is for you, no, no strings attached, how foolish would you be to reject that? But you know what? Jesus is worth way more than a million-dollar check. That check's going to burn everything you can buy with. It's going to melt. I tell you what, your soul is redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ, yet people reject him. So point C, the peace of this world does not compare to the peace of Christ. The reason that we reject Christ, and I'm not saying that that anyone in here is rejecting Christ, I don't know. Again, I'm just speaking to the ether, but uh, we're just speaking to the air here. But the reality is we fill up our lives with other things that we want to bring, that we try to bring peace to our life with other than Christ. That was horrible English. But what I'm trying to say is that, that, that we make room for things in our heart that are not the things that are going to bring peace. It's false peace. You say, well, Brian, how do you know that? Have you been following me around? You've been spying on me? Yeah, I got this app. No, I'm just kidding. <clears throat> no, not at all. This is what Jesus said in John 14, 27. And I've already alluded to this in a previous message as well. Peace I leave unto you. And then he says it specifically, My peace give I unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. You see, Jesus says, I have a peace I want to give you, but it's not the same type of peace, meaning there is a peace of this world. There's a peace that comes in this world that is different from the peace of God, the peace that we can have through Christ. We try to, the way I would like to, to phrase it in our current culture is we like to medicate. Man, is there more and more ways to medicate? You can medicate all day on your phone. <clears throat> you can get drugs, right? You can, there's so many ways to medicate. You can be a shopaholic, an alcoholic, a whatever-olic, right? And we find ways. And, you know, don't get self-righteous because you think, oh, well, I'm not this, I'm not that. Your, your flesh is something. Our flesh is, all of our flesh is something, right? And we like to medicate. <clears throat> and so... Jesus is saying, listen, I've got the real peace. I've got the real thing. I'm the authentic deal. And I need you, I need you to, to listen to me and receive me. I'm the Prince of Peace. <clears throat> the world offers all kinds of peace offerings. <clears throat> we live in a generation that, that claimed peace and love. That generation is getting a little older now, a little longer in the tooth. But it ended up, by the, before it was over, and I mentioned this a few weeks ago as well, what peace and love ended up being sex, drugs, and rock and roll. It ended up being AIDS and abortion, HIV, <clears throat> and all that other death that came with it. It didn't work out very good, did it? That was the peace and love this world had to offer. It wasn't the real thing. It wasn't the real thing. And so Jesus made peace by becoming our peace through the offering of his sinless life as the atonement for sin. So Ephesians 2 says this in verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, ye, were some, ye who were sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh 
the enmity, the war, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances for to make of him, in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. You see, he was able to bridge the gap, all God, all man, and was able to bring peace in this war between the flesh and the spirit. He is our way. He is our truth. He is our life. He is the way to have peace that passes understanding. So why would anyone refuse to make peace with such a benevolent God? Well, that's the question that we're going to ask because we understand there is a problem with peace because God gives peace on his terms and peace is hidden from the faithless. Peace is hidden from the faithless. That's our second point of study. And that's the text that we've read in Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 15, and you could carry it on out to verse 18 if we had more time. You see, Herod the Great was not so great. Herod the Great was not so great. Herod was ignorant of Christ's coming. There's very, it's very clear in verses 1 and 2. When, now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, Behold, there came a wise men from there be, I'm sorry, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and come to worship him. They presumed that Herod would be in the know. <clears throat> He's like, wait a second, let me get some help on this. And it's clear from the, the passage that Herod was surprised to hear there was a Hebrew Messiah born among the Jews. The coming Messiah was one of the most anticipated prophecies by believing Jews, and Herod seemed oblivious to it. In Luke chapter 2, we see that there were faithful priests and widows expecting the Lord's appearance based on what they knew from the Scripture and from the revelation of the Holy Ghost. Herod was uh, not, uh, not a Hebrew by nature. He was a pros- from a proselyte family of Edom uh, in previous generations who had come into the faith, and they did keep the law, Uh, But his family rose to power by observing Jewish religious tradition while embracing Roman rulers in the region. And so in 37 BC, I should say rather, in 37 BC, so Herod was getting long in the tooth by the time Jesus was born. In 37 BC, Herod was bequeathed the the title of King of Judea by his Roman friend, Mark Anthony, which many of you have heard of. And he's not a singer. Um, And so upon receiving, uh, not to be confused with Mark Anthony, So upon receiving the title, he quickly butchered his enemies once he was decreed to be the the ruler of Judea, and then he solidified his rule and reign in the region. Then after Mark Antony was defeated in 31 BC, Herod made a shrewd series of moves, power plays that we would call them, that that, uh, ended up garnering him an even more powerful and influential role among the Romans. And how he did that was by mercilessly defeating the Arabs and, and, and uh, that challenged the, the Romans around that area of Judea. And he just he beat them down and destroyed them and uh, actually expanded his kingdom. Of course, when you read on in the book in the New Testament, it talks about Herod the Tetrarch because he had so much mass of property that they had to break it up after his death. So he had different people reigning different sections. And so to, to make sure that he could keep his power, see what a great guy he was? He ended up murdering his own wife, Merami, I think is how you say her name. In 28 BC, an ancient historian stated that, that she was the only human that they believed he ever loved, and he murdered her. And just to make sure he would not lose any power to that side of his family, just before he died, <clears throat> he executed his two sons by her, his own blood sons, uh, him and his wife had, and he killed them just to make sure 
they wouldn't take his throne. Their names were Alexander and Aristobulus. And so, quite a nice guy that we're dealing with here. And so he's, uh, it's interesting. There's a lot of history on him that you can go and read about. I don't have time to get into it. But he was far from a great man. He was very wicked, for sure. The advent of, of the light of this world exposed the darkness of Herod's heart in Matthew 2, 1 through 18. What we, what we heard <clears throat> from the wise men in Matthew 2, 2 is that there is a king of the Jews. And of course, Herod's first thought would be, well, wait a minute. I thought I was born king of the Jews. That's what he's thinking. What do you mean there's been a man born king of the Jews? I've been born king of the Jews. Who, who do you think you're talking to? Now, of course, he didn't articulate that, but I know that's what he was thinking in his heart. The word king uh, represents divine authority. And Jesus is not just a king. He is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And the star served as a divine sign in the heavens, drawing Gentile nations to Judah for worship. Man, how threatening could that be to Herod? They didn't come to see Herod. They came to see some other guy in his domain that is called the king, and people are coming all the way from Iraq, all the way from the Euphrates to come and see this guy? Are you kidding me? He is not happy about this. Of course, he's a good statesman. He knows how to put on a good face. And, uh, and so he's obviously threatened considerably by what he hears. <clears throat> so Christ was a threat to Herod just as, the, as he threatens elite pagan religious and political leaders even today. You can see, uh, seek a child... But God forbid you find him and worship him as the king. It's then you become a threat to their wicked pagan power and authority. Today, all over the world, there are principalities and powers that will kill you for doing what we get to freely do in this country this morning. You just can't get together and worship the king, the king Jesus. And so Christ was a threat, and it revealed the darkness of Herod's heart. <clears throat> and Herod believed in Jesus. See, It wasn't that he didn't believe. He believed in him but he would never submit to him. It wasn't that he didn't believe. He believed he just wasn't going to submit to Jesus. He had no intentions of actually worshiping Jesus. Many today believe in the birth of Jesus historically, and <clears throat> you would have to be a fool to deny his humanity, by the way. The issue is not, was Jesus a human? You would have to be foolish to reject that. The issue is, who is he who he said he was? Many are happy to consent to him as long as he remains a baby in the womb or a baby in the manger, or as long as he's dead in a tomb. But once he's resurrected and he's alive, well, man, that messes everybody's day up because he is Lord of all. He's moving in on your territory. <clears throat> he wants to offer you peace on his terms, <clears throat> and he wants to be Lord of your life because he rightfully deserves it. Now, that's, that's, uh, that's the truth. And so those who will not receive the gift of peace will become rebellious. And they actually become the enemy of Christ. Now what a benevolent takeover, right? Uh, he, he comes in as a, as a baby. He, he, he is, is sinless. He comes to save, and yet he is rejected. Those who will not receive the gift of peace will become rebellious against Jesus' authority and reject him as Herod did because he is <clears throat> a threat to their power and to their plans. Guys, I can remember, I've, I've tried, I remember when I was a young Christian, I was at a youth outreach up in Monmouth, Illinois, before Mike Blake was even in Kansas City, I think, um, before he even went up there. And I was up there, and uh, this young man, he would not get saved. And he told me, Brian, I can't get saved tonight. I'm like, why not? I'm just dying. I'm like, what else can I say? And he's like, I, I just have other things I'm going to do, and I just can't, I can't do this now and do that later. You know what he was wrestling with? The same thing Herod was wrestling with. 
submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. He knew Jesus Christ was alive. He knew the Holy Ghost was convicting his heart. The problem was he didn't want to submit to who Jesus Christ is. He's God. He is the Lord of all. There was a problem, and the problem isn't Jesus, beloved. The problem is in our hearts. And we can even get in that conundrum as Christians when we get in our flesh. So Herod was, was the common re- Herod, I'm sorry, had the common response of the unbeliever uh, who hear the, uh, the arrival of the Prince of Peace but refuse his authority. And I'll give those to you quickly. Herod had a troubled heart, right? That's what we saw in verse 2. Herod and all Jerusalem, it says. Not just Herod, but all Jerusalem was troubled. Herod had a troubled heart. His, it was, this is because his, the wicked influence... Uh, the wicked had influenced him, and he himself was a wicked man. He had to wonder what this news would mean to the zealous nationalistic Jews. I mean, could he maintain dominion over this people if they knew they had a king that, that people would come from all over the world to worship? Good night. Man, that's a nightmare for him. What was meant to be a peace, peaceful thing for him was a nightmare. Why was that? Because he had a troubled heart. Would this trouble his kingdom? How do you translate that today? Hey, let me ask you, if you're listening to me online or maybe you happen to be in the room this morning and, and, you're, and you're wrestling over this issue of salvation, is one of the concerns you have, am I going to be able to live my life the way I want to live my life if I make this decision? And then you start worrying about your flesh instead of worrying about your soul. Hey, listen, this preacher ain't some teetotaler because uh, somebody made me do it. What happens is you get when you make the right choice, God changes your nature from the inside out. It ain't about trying to keep a set of rules and changing your life. He changes it for you. But it starts with you putting your faith in him instead of yourself. You got you to trust Jesus. That's what it's all about. Herod had a troubled heart. He also had a deceitful heart. Herod had a deceitful heart in verses 4 and verses 7. Herod was working the chief priests and scribes for information about their Messiah's location. Then upon receiving that information... He privately spoke to the wise men apart from them because he didn't want the word to get out that he was actually going to find this, this king of the Jews. right? How would those Jews feel if they had another king? Herod wasn't the best guy in town. I'm sure there would be a little sedition going on and say, hey, there's another king. Let's take care of him because we're going to throw this guy out. He's a bum. You know what he did to my uncle? You know what he did to my mama? You know what he did to my daddy? Guy wasn't a nice guy. He didn't want any competition. So once he gets the knowledge from these uh, these scribes and these chief priests, then he takes that knowledge privately and he, he's so deceitful and he grabs these wise men and says, hey guys, I want to worship with you. Can you go show me where he's at? And I'll come down and once you find him, let me know and I'll be right there with you. Of course, he had no, no intentions of doing that. Not at all. He was a liar because he was a son of the father of lies. He was like, uh, he was, he was like, Living the plan of Harry S. Truman. You know, when Harry S. Truman was here in town in Jackson County, <clears throat> he uh, uh, dealt with Pendergast outfit. And, uh, and so when he got to Washington, he, he had a phrase. He says, keep your friends close and your enemies closer. Right. That's how Herod operated. He kept his enemies right there, right there in his, in his court so he could control what was going on. So there's a coming day when Israel and the world will be deceived by a peacemaker who will lead the world into the false or into the first half of Daniel's 70th week. And he'll be a lot like Herod the Great. He'll be a guy that'll say whatever needs to be said. He'll placate whoever he needs to placate, but at the end of the day, his intentions are not peace, they're war. That's very clear in the book of Revelation chapter 6. Check it out. And so Herod had no intention of worshiping Jesus, according to Matthew chapter 2 and verse 8. Herod had 
a murderous heart. Go over to chapter 2 and look at verse 16 with me briefly. It says, Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all children that were in Bethlehem, and all the coasts thereof, from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. Then was fulfilled that which was spoken of Jeremy the prophet, which is Jeremiah the prophet, saying, In Ramah was there a voice heard, lamentation and weeping and great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and would not be comforted because they are not. What a terrible thing. Look, how wicked is that? I mean, that's incredibly wicked. He was a wicked man. He had a murderous heart. Not only did he have a a troubled heart and a deceitful heart, it became a murderous heart. Just like Cain in the garden, Herod was so threatened by Jesus that he murdered every child under two years old in a horrendous act. So there's no doubt that Herod was the epitome of evil. I can't even imagine that kind of wickedness. But yet we've seen it. I mean, you see it in the world today. Uh, There's all kinds of atrocities going on, uh, genocides, killing of children, wickedness. Africa, which continent? Africa, Europe, uh, you know, down here on the border, you got cartel people, they'll slice you up and dice you up without even thinking about it. Kids, women, they don't care. You know what that is? That's evil. And by the way, it happens in America too. There's wickedness everywhere. You know why? Because there ain't enough of us preaching this book like it needs to be preached. Not just having Bible studies, but I mean taking this book and taking it where it needs to go to the hearts of people who are troubled, who are deceitful, people that are murderous in their heart. Man, I thank God a man came to this murderer, and I was a murderer in my heart. Praise God, I never murdered anybody. But in my heart, I was. And man, somebody came to me with the gospel. It changed my life. If I wouldn't have received it, I think I'd have been tenfold the child of hell that Herod was. So the chief priests and the scribes, they had religion without a relationship. So you got this guy hiding behind his religious and slash political cover, right? But he's a murderer at heart. But then you have these chief priests and these scribes, and they had this religion, but it seems that they're not really overly concerned about rushing down to Bethlehem themselves to find out what's going on. I mean, why aren't they down there checking things out? The chief priests and the scribes. The chief priests and the scribes were knowledgeable of Scripture. I mean, when he called on them, they had the answers, and, 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 they, and Herod demanded the answer, and they were able to give it him Give him the proper biblical passage from Micah 5.2. But Luke 2 records the news had already been proclaimed by the shepherds the night of Jesus' birth. Isn't that interesting? We'll get there at the end of the message. But this message had already been told. I mean, the, the, the shepherds were in Bethlehem. It says they went out and they noised it abroad. The whole, they were telling everybody that would listen. I'm sure it made its way back to Jerusalem. Hey, did you hear about what happened down in Bethlehem? There's this baby that was born, and these shepherds running around talking about it, saying the Messiah was here. You know what? It doesn't seem like anybody got on their camel <laughs> and rode on down there to see what was up. And so somewhere in the next several months to a couple years, uh, I, I would lean toward a couple years later, this subject's coming up again. And, and they've already been thinking about it because I'm sure the news had been circulating, but nobody had gone to check it out. Of course, if their intentions were evil, God would cover it from anyway, but... This news had been spread about already, and nobody was moving. The chief priests and the scribes had access to the same scriptures the wise men had from the east. Isn't that interesting? Yet they were not seeking the Messiah with the same zeal. He was right there where they lived. It's like one of the Christian kids that brought up in the church, right? They're here all the time. They hear the Bible. They hear the Bible. There's no thirst. Why? 
because they don't really realize what they've got. They don't really realize that these are the words of life. This is it, the word of God. It's all you get. It's all you need. So the chief priests and the scribes, man, they, they weren't moving. In Amos chapter 5 and verse 4, the Bible says, For thus saith the Lord unto the house of Israel, Seek ye me, and ye shall live. Now, every, every single Jew, I don't care if you were a liberal or a conservative, every single one of them, I think in their heart of hearts, were nationalistic to some degree, and some of them to a lot of degree, and they did not like, they did despise, for the most part, the Roman rule. And they knew that their Rome was on them. They had their iron boot on their neck. And they, they had to live with it every day. They hated it. It made their life miserable. And yet they were dealing with that day in and day yet, day out, day in and day out. Yet, when they hear news of the Messiah, they weren't all that zealous to find him, were they? Beloved, we live in a society today where people complain about having blessings. They, I mean, people give them money. People, I mean, it's just easy to live. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. And we complain and we complain and we complain. I tell you what, guys, it's unbelievable how people complain. You know what they miss is the answer is always found in Christ. What we really need is some, not some new thing. It's not a new government. It's not a new this. It's not a new that. It's a new zeal. It's a, it's a, it's a God-given heart for the Word of God, seeking Christ with our whole heart and not leaning on our own understanding acknowledging him in all of our ways and not just the ones that we feel comfortable with. That's what, the, that's what we need at Christmas. That's what we need every day of the year. Jesus would, would later speak to the Pharisee, a Pharisee named Nicodemus in John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, and he would remind him of, of Numbers chapter 21 and verse 9. So when he comes to a religious leader, a man who, who knows all the Bible scripture, he says, listen, Nicodemus, you need to remember Numbers. You need to remember Numbers 21 and down there around verse 9 when Moses took that serpent and he lifted him up in the wilderness because everybody was being bitten by these fiery serpents. And the people who lived were the ones, Amos says, those that seek me will live. Those people who looked at me, right, looked at the serpent, lived. And those who didn't died. Man, we need to look at the gospel a little closer. Look at the coming of Christ a little closer. Why? Because that's how we live. It contains what we need to live. It contains the fact that Jesus Christ is God manifest in the flesh, that he came to redeem us from the curse of the law, and that he is alive today and can take care of our needs even now. You know, the saying is true, wise men still seek him. Those men from the east, even though they were Gentiles, they were very wise. Because it didn't look like anybody in Jerusalem was actively seeking Jesus, though they were very religious. They had no relationship. And point three, they were useful to Herod for their, their, for their knowledge. And the chief priests and the scribes became pawns in Herod's political power play. They had knowledge, but it really wasn't, any, it wasn't very useful for them. Herod played them like a fiddle. Unlike John the Baptist, who would come after them in less than 30 years, these learned men had a form of godliness, but they denied the power thereof. Why is that? Because they weren't seeking a personal relationship with Jesus. You can read your Bible all day long and check your boxes. I've gone through the Bible, I've gone through the Bible, I went to all the Bible studies, but unless you have a personal relationship with Christ, you're going to come up wanting. Unless you're spending time in prayer, if you're taking things to Him, if you're trusting Him, not just coming to church, not just going through the motions. I mean seeking Jesus. That's what this world needs. That's what every Christian needs. Turn, Take the phone, throw it out the door, get rid of it. Get a hold of Jesus Christ. 
Because that is the solution for all men. Unlike John the Baptist, these guys didn't have it. But when you hear, you know where John the Baptist got it? And he got it from the same spirit. It was, it was the spirit of God. In Matthew chapter 7, when you heard Jesus Christ speak, he spoke with authority. Matthew seven twenty eight says, And it came to pass when, John, when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine. For he taught them as one having authority, not as the scribes. He came and when he said something, he meant it. And he could back it up because he was God in the flesh. In Mark 1, the Bible says in, in verse 21, and when they went into Capernaum and straightway on the Sabbath day, they entered into the synagogue and he taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them uh, as one that had authority and not as the scribes. How would you like to be the guy that everybody goes to, the Bible answer man, the person that everybody wants to get the Bible answers from, but when you hear the preaching, it's dead. There's no power There's no authority. Why? Because there's no relationship. Beloved, you can get that all day long in this country. We are so inundated with the Bible information, man. It's unbelievable. But why isn't it changing people? Because there's no power. It should be changing us. And beloved, let me tell you, when you spend time with Jesus, that's why we're we're talking about discipleship. Not just going through a series of booklets. Not just going through a series of classes. But I mean walking with Jesus every day. When we follow Christ, it changes us from the inside out. When we get serious about the Word of God and the words of God and where Jesus is at and say, you know what, wherever Jesus is at, that's where I want to go. If it takes me to Uganda, I'll go to Uganda. If it takes me to Zambia, I'll go to Zambia. If it takes me to Oaxaca, I'll go to Oaxaca. If it takes me across the street to my neighbor, I'll go to the neighbor. Where is Jesus at? I want to find him. You know he's in you technically. I know doctrinally he's in you, but you understand what I'm saying. You want to find out where he's working, and you want to get in on it because you want to be where Jesus is at. And he's working in the hearts of people where it's dark. He's working in the hearts of people. He wants people to get there with the light of his word. And when you've got that kind of heart and that kind of desire, I'm going to tell you something, there's going to be power. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 4 and verse 13 that the apostles, and when they spoke, they were bold. These guys were uneducated. From the, the scribes and the chief priest standpoint, they were ignorant and unlearned men. And they could not measure up intellectually. But yet, in Acts 4.13, the Bible says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. What a personal relationship. That's what those scribes and the chief priests were lacking. They didn't recognize him when he stood in their face. And when they did, he messed up their ball game. He messed up their power grid. And they were like, nope, we can't have this. They were deceitful in the presentation of the word of God as well. Like many scholars after them, they took liberty with God's word and shunned to proclaim the whole counsel of God. So when they came back with an answer for Herod, they didn't give him the whole verse. They just gave him the part that he, they knew that he could swallow. And they left off the last part. The last part of Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. Whose goings forth have been from old from everlasting. You know why? I think that's not listed. I think it probably was said exactly the way it's recorded in, in the book of Matthew chapter 2. He came out of, of, of Judah, and he's going to be a ruler, it says. Or a governor, I believe, in the book of in Micah. It's, he's a ruler. They said he's a governor. Okay, I'll let that slide going from Hebrew to Greek. But this is what, I, what they left off is the fact that, oh, and by the way, this is God, Herod. <laughs> this guy is from everlasting, and you better take advantage of him because uh, you are not going to play him. There wasn't one of those guys bold enough to stand up 
point into his face and say, Herod, this is the Christ. He is from everlasting. He is God and he means business. You better obey these guys, else you're gonna, your neck's going to be on the line. Only It took a man like John the Baptist to say things like that, but he wasn't going to say it, or they weren't going to say it. The chief priests and the scribes believed in the Prince of Peace, but they would never submit themselves to the Prince of Peace. And because of this, they, they were cursed, and they were blind, and they missed their Messiah at his first coming. And you know what? Many of them to this day will miss him, uh, <clears throat> will receive the false Messiah before his second coming. The Apostle Paul was literally blinded on the road to Damascus because of his rejection of Christ's authority as a Pharisee and the testimony of Stephen and his preaching as he was persecuted. And he would later be chosen of God and reveal the mystery that Israel was blinded in part in Romans chapter 11 and verse 13. And so the lesson to us should not be missed this Christmas, that Paul warns the church not, not to be blind like them. If you go back and read Romans eleven nineteen and through 26, he's like, hey, church, be careful because you're not of the natural root. You've been grafted in, but man, don't go into blindness like Israel. Make sure you stay right with God, because man, uh, you, you could go the wrong way too. Now, not that we can lose our salvation, but you know what? We can certainly lose the blessing. The lesson to us should not be missed. <clears throat> and for time's sake, I can't go back and read all of it, but you can go read Romans 11, 19 through 26. The same God who made the promises to rule Israel will fulfill them just as he said. And you, can only, and you can see this if you rightly divide the word of truth. And that's called a dispensational view of the Bible. It's how you rightly divide it, which is what Bible-believing churches do and Bible-believing Christians. So and that's, that's the greatest gift, as I've already mentioned, that God has given to us. And we want to make sure that we not only know how to rightly divide the word, but we know how to rightly apply the word so that we don't fall into that group in Revelation chapter 3 that are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. What are they doing? They're trying to find peace. They're trying to find something other than Jesus to satisfy them. Hey, it can happen in the church, and it does happen in the church. Making merchandise of the church. That's not what we're here for. We're not here to make money. We're here to get the gospel where it needs to go on time. And so if you've not submitted to the authority of Scripture, it's certain we will be, you will be blinded from its promises and have no peace, even when the Prince of Peace is in your midst. You know, Christmas is not about temporary or momentary peace, but eternal peace, peace that only Jesus Christ can offer. But there are people that have problems with peace. God gives peace on his terms, not ours. Peace is hidden from the faithless, but I got good news as we conclude. Peace is no problem for the faithful. I'm not going to run through all this because I'm out of time, but I will give you the fill in the blanks, and then if you want to know more, come back tonight, and I'll finish it. But peace is no problem for the faithful. Let me give you four examples of that before we leave. Finding peace is not a problem for those who are faithfully watching. Look, look over in Luke real quick. Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. It says, And there was in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping the watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord shone round about, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And you know the rest of the story. God revealed to them that there's peace on earth, goodwill to men, glory to God in the highest, and on the earth peace and goodwill toward men. Verse 14, he presents that to them. They go on to tell the whole world right around them that they can. When you see Jesus, even if you weren't looking for him, it's possible you rolled into church this morning and you weren't even looking for Jesus. You're just here to fulfill some requirement by somebody else. And yet God meets you and reveals himself to you. Man, God wants to take you so you can proclaim his goodness to the whole world. And if, if he's opening up your eyes of faith, receive him. 
and he will bring peace to your heart so you can bring peace and goodwill here on the earth. God gave those watchful and humble shepherds that knowledge so that they could share it with others. The second one there is finding peace. They were watching, by the way. That's the point there. They were watching. God saw some faithful men. <clears throat> they were the low caste of the society. They were the outcast of the society. And you know what they were? They were faithful with their job. They were diligent to take care of those few sheep, as they told David in the Old Testament. And you know what? Just like David in the Old Testament, the least among the, the, the sons of Jesse, here comes God. And he says, this is the one that's going to be my king. You may be the furthest away, the outcast in society, the person nobody thinks can do anything. You're exactly the candidate that God wants to use to show everybody his grace and his goodness. And just keep doing, keep watching, keep looking, because God wants to take care of your needs. Be faithful in watching the things that you have. Point B, finding peace is not a problem for those who are faithfully waiting. You go on up in the text to verses 21, and you see that, that they take, uh, on the eighth day, they take Jesus up to the temple, and you can read this later, and they take him up, and they, and they get him circumcised, just like the law teaches them, on the eighth day. And uh, you know what they find there as they, as they come up on the temple mount? Uh, to fulfill that, they bring their pigeons because they don't have a lot of money for sacrifice, and they do exactly what the law requires. And according to Exodus 13 and verse 1, Exodus 12 through uh, 13, 12 through 15, and they're they're up there. They find this guy Simeon waiting. You know what he's waiting for? He's waiting for the Messiah. You know Herod didn't know where he was. The chief priests weren't down there waiting. But you know what? This guy Simeon, he's been waiting his whole life for the Messiah to come. The Spirit of God had made it known to him that he was coming. He understood the prophecies of Jeremiah, the prophecies of, of, of Daniel. He knew what, what time it was, and he was ready for the Messiah. And he was waiting and ready when he came. This blows away mom and dad. They're like, whoa, look at this guy. He is, he is ready to go. Let's just quickly read the text, and I'll keep moving. It says in, in verse 25, pick it up. It says, and behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. The same man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Ghost was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came by the Spirit in the temple. And when the, and the parents brought in the child, uh, Jesus, to do for him as the custom of the law, then took he him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now lettest thou thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, and the glory of the people of thy people Israel. He is not kidding. You see, those wise men came from the east because Jesus was a light to the Gentiles. And he wasn't a physical light, though they followed an angel. There was a spiritual light that went on, and he was able to take that light, beloved, just like we do this Bible, and he was able to take the word of God in his hands and offer a blessing to God and say, God, there is a light that's going to the Gentiles. There's a light that's coming for Israel. You have brought me the light. And he was able to to take the word of God in his hands. And you know when he did that? He was in peace. He had peace. That word peace is offered again right there in verse 28. I'm sorry, in verse 29. And then we move on in the text. Go down to verse 36. And there was one Anna. We can read it. I'll read it in more detail tonight. A prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel, the tribe of Aser. She was of great age and had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And she was a widow of about fourscore and four years, and <clears throat> which departed not from the temple. But notice she served God with fasting and prayers night and day. And she coming in that instant gave thanks likewise unto the Lord and spake of him to all them that looked for redemption in Jerusalem. Here this, this widow, 
uh, 84 years old. I believe she's 84. Otherwise, if she was widowed uh, for 84 years, she'd be like 100 and something. So she's old. Either way, you cut it. And she, and she sees Simeon come by. She sees what's going on. Now she's encouraged. Why? Because she's been waiting. She's been waiting as well. And she's serving. Uh, she's finding peace <clears throat> is not a problem for those who are faithfully serving. She's just going about her business as faithful as could be. I've been a widow for at least 60 years, if not 84 years. And she, she's seeing and hearing what Simeon has to say. And she is so excited. She has to sing a song. She's proclaiming. She's singing out to the Lord. And again, Mary and Joseph are like, what in the world is going on around here? This is incredible. I mean, first you send these shepherds, then you send Simeon, and then you send this, this, uh, this Anna, this widow. What an incredible thing. And lastly, <clears throat> I'm going to bring this full circle to where we began. Finding peace is not a problem for those who are faithfully seeking. I've already touched on that, so I won't tarry, but... Back in our text in Matthew chapter one, verse one, or 2 and verse 1, the Bible says, Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east, <clears throat> uh, to, uh, east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is the king of kings, or where is, I'm sorry, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. This morning I'm going to end where I began with wise men who traveled a long way searching for the promised Prince of Peace. Now, perhaps your life has taken you on a long journey and you've come this morning and you're looking for peace through the Prince of Peace. I have great news for you this morning. You've come to the right place because we not only know about Jesus, but we, like those shepherds who arrived at the manger, you know what? We've seen him. We've seen him in his word. And like Simeon, who waited for him at the temple, we praise him. And like Anna, who served faithfully every day, we sing to him. And you know what? Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, he is here right now ready to be your Lord and Savior if you would simply humble your heart before him and call upon his name to be saved. There is no greater gift one can receive than the gift of eternal life offered by the Prince of Peace, our Lord Jesus Christ. If there's a problem with having peace in your heart, it's not because God's not able it's because we're not willing to seek him. We're not willing to praise him. We're not willing to worship him. And that's all he wants us to do is praise him or seek him, hold him, and worship him. Are you doing that this Christmas? I guarantee if you do that, you're going to have peace in your heart. Not peace that the world giveth, but the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. I pray a blessing on the reading and the hearing of it, Lord, as we consider the problem with peace it comes on your in <clears throat> on the, your terms, not ours. It's hidden from the faithless, but it's revealed to the faithful. Oh, Heavenly Father, I pray, God, this morning that we would consider our stewardship of, of what we understand about your incarnation, or that this mystery would be taken to the ends of the earth, along with the other mysteries you've been, that you've revealed to us. Lord, I pray, God, we would take it seriously in our daily life. And I pray, God, for anyone under the sound of my voice this morning, that doesn't know you as Lord and Savior. Maybe they're like Herod. Maybe they're like the Pharisees. Maybe they're like uh, Paul. Maybe they're like Nicodemus. Maybe, Lord, you've been prodding their heart, poking their heart, and today they know is the day of salvation. With heads bowed and eyes closed, nobody looking around. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, my primary thing that I gotta ask is simply this. Why not? What is keeping you from trusting Jesus as Lord and Savior? There should be nothing. 
And if you say, Brian, I'm ready right now to receive Christ as my Lord and Savior, I want to help you with that. I will have somebody come to you right now with the Bible. They will take you privately and show you in the Bible what the Bible says about salvation, and you can make your own decision. You can trust Christ as Lord and Savior. He'll just guide you in the process. Anyone say, Brian, I want to receive that gift today. Anybody in the middle? Anyone on my left? Anybody on my right? Anybody online? You can call us at 380-3033. If you are someone who needs to receive Christ, if the Spirit of God is telling you explicitly you need to be saved, do not let it go by. You may not get another opportunity. Trust Christ today for salvation. Anybody at all say, Brian, I, I want to get up, I, but I'm scared to death. Would you just pray for me? I will do that. I will not embarrass you. I'm not going to try to manipulate anybody. Just say, Brian, I want to get saved, but I'm too scared. Anybody at all? Man, could we all say this morning we're born again? Oh, that's awesome. What an army. We need, like the shepherds, need to go out and proclaim. And let's stand together in an attitude of prayer as we prepare to conclude. Heavenly Father, I'm thankful for your saints this morning. Thank you for the the occasion of Christmas to take some time and clear off a spot and, and focus on your deity, your humanity, and the peace that's offered through Jesus Christ, the one who is our advocate, the one who has reconciled us, who is who has made in himself twain one new man so that we have access into the kingdom of God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I know in a group this size that there, is, uh, there are issues. Lord, we all have trouble keeping peace in our heart. And I pray, God, as we go out of here today, that we would be once again encouraged at this time of year at Christmas that we would remember what it's all about. It's about the love of the Father for this world. It's about a son who loved the Father enough to obey. And it's about us to be this, through the Spirit of God receiving your word and obeying it so that we can take it to all those that need to hear it. Lord, I pray this Christmas that the gift that we give would be the gift of eternal life. Lord, take us out of here in your power this week to to give that gift to whosoever will. Lord, I pray, God, that we're ready. Lord, that we would have the right answers, that we'd know the Bible, that we would do what it takes, whether it's get discipled, whatever it takes, Lord, to, to be your prepared servants. Lord, help us be those people that you can count on to accomplish your mission. But Lord, I pray that it's not just preparation. Lord, I pray that it's personal. Lord, give us that reality of our relationship with you that brings power, like John the Baptist, like the disciples, like those that have gone before us, that connects people to God and sees the quickening power of the Spirit of God in the lives of people. Lord, that's our prayer. That's the gift that we need is is you in the hearts of others. We thank you, Lord, and we praise you for this time. We ask your blessing on the reading and the hearing of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. At this time, I'm going to invite Randy to come up. He's going to pray over the offering and have a few announcements before we dismiss toward the end. take up the offering and before we I want to actually give one announcement before, before we pray and take up the offering and that is for today is uh, is our special offering that we take up for our missionaries for a Christmas offering and so I just wanted to mention it if you want to put that in the, in the plate as it passes by you can just designate that to Christmas missions you can give online you can give next week you can give anytime uh, once we feel like we've got all of it we'll divide it all up to all of it and send it out to our missionaries uh, so let's pray for the offering now, and then I'll give you some more announcements. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for the opportunity to give back to you as you've given to us. Lord, as we uh, re- are reminded from the message today, Lord, that you gave your son Jesus Christ to us uh, as a uh, as a uh, an offering for salvation. 
And uh, we, so we, we pray, Father, that you would take what we give to you uh, and use it according to your will. Use it to accomplish your mission in the world. And uh, we just praise you for the opportunity to do that. Thank you, Father, for those that give. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so as they're taking up the offering, let me just give you a couple of quick things. I already mentioned the Christmas offering. Uh, this coming uh, uh, Christmas Eve, which is uh, Saturday. Is that right, Saturday? Sorry. Can't keep my calendar straight. Uh, anyway, Christmas Eve, we're having a service, 6 o'clock. Um, and uh, so we want you to uh, use that opportunity to invite as many p- friends and family members as you can. Bring them here uh, for a service. be a good time. Uh, and we have a special gift for all the kids that come as well. Uh, then f- on Christmas Eve, or Christmas, the day after Christmas, on Sunday the 26th, we will not be having an uh, adult Bible fellowship uh, or children's ministry at that time at 9 o'clock. In fact, we won't have a service at 9 at all, so uh, if you, we'll see everybody at 10.30 for a regular service at 10.30. And um, so uh, just kind of plan on that because every, this is a busy weekend for everybody. Um, they're out in the lobby right now is a bake sale. Uh, that bake sale is to raise up some more money f- uh, to uh, 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 put uh, picnic tables and other equipment out in the playground. So you can uh, participate in that. In fact, I think there's a uh, silent auction part as well taking place. Um, and then uh, on January 9th is uh, Heartland Baptist Fellowship's 20th anniversary. Uh, so the church has been in existence now for 20 years. So we're going to have a celebration. Uh, we're going to have uh, a, a meal uh, and some fun times. And, and so out in the lobby is a sign-up sheet. Uh, the, the main course is prepared, but we'd like to see if people could uh, bring side dishes and desserts and other th- and things like that. So you can sign up on the uh, the, the sheet out there to, to for the uh, for that food. And then lastly, uh, Brian really wanted me to encourage you. If you're going to play volleyball, you need to get signed up because uh, uh, after the first of the year, the price goes up. Um, and so, and unless you want to pay more, you're welcome to. Uh, but please sign up as, as quickly as you can. There's other information in the bulletin. You might want to grab a hold of that if you haven't read it yet. Uh, don't want to repeat everything that's in there and give you a chance to read that. So, Brian? Yeah, he covered several things I forgot while he's up there. Awesome. So, hey, before we leave, we're going to recognize some new members, so praise the Lord. This was awesome today as far as the kids singing. I just enjoyed that, and uh, be praying for those youngins. But uh, I want to ask uh, Jesse Hogan. Is Jesse in the house? Jesse Hogan? Come on up here, Jesse. We're gonna, he came in by baptism, and uh, it's good to have Jesse here, and uh, good testimony, brother. So, did you know this was happening today? No, I didn't. Awesome. That's even better. <laughs> Follow Jesus, all right, bro? Uh, then there's Nisha uh, Merritt. She's coming by statement of faith. And um, Heather Haddad. Did I say that right, Heather? Hey, Dad, are you coming up? You, you don't have to. Did you know I was going to do this? I'm sorry. <laughs> well, come on up, guys. Let's center up. <clears throat> I think they all just said, I wouldn't join this church if I knew I was going to have to get them up front. No, I'm just kidding. I hope not. No, we really just appreciate you guys. Uh, uh, Heather's coming by statement of faith, or uh, transfer of letter, I'm sorry. Nisha's coming by statement of faith. Uh, but uh, we're just glad that you guys are, are born again. And now, because you've identified with Christ publicly through believer's baptism or transfer letter, we identify with you as members of HBF, and we're glad that you're with us. 
So if you're in favor of them being members of HBF, just say a hearty amen. 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 God bless you. Let's stand and get ready to leave. Hey, no problem. Let's stand and get ready to exit in prayer. Make sure you say hi to these guys. Uh, if you have children, uh, you guys, you have a child here? I was going to say, Tom, if you go get them. So anyways, make sure you let these folks know you're glad they're members of HBF. Have a Merry Christmas and enjoy your time this week with your family. We are on for church services up through Friday night, so don't forget Christmas Eve and then next Saturday. But if I don't see you between then, have a Merry Christmas and God bless you, and we'll see you on the next, on the next week. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. Thank you for these that have come and trusted Jesus Christ as their Savior, or they've come by transfer of letter uh, or statement of faith from another church that believes in believers' baptism. And uh, Lord, we are so thankful uh, for you just continuing to build your church. Lord, you're adding to the body as you see fit. Lord, I pray we would just continue to sow the word of God, that we would trust your uh, spirit of God to continue to, to add people and, uh, and also multiply us through the process of discipleship. Lord, I pray, God, that uh, you would be blessed today uh, about everything that's happened in this building from the 9 o'clock ABFs to what was going on in the children's ministry uh, to what has occurred in our, in our sanctuary today and what we do when we leave here today. Lord, I pray, God, that you get the honor and the glory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed. Congratulations.